Thanks for joining us tonight. So we are Exercises Medicine at UC San Diego. So the mission of both our org and the purpose of this podcast is to raise awareness about exercise and nutrition as a means of maintaining health and preventing disease, which is also including COVID-19. We aim to promote professional interest and development with the focus on the various careers of sports medicine. And just as a disclaimer, um, the information we talk about today is for your entertainment purposes only, and we are not medical professionals yet <laughs> as such as, and we don't want the information that's spoken today to be misconstrued as medical advice. As introductions, my name is Romani, and today we have <laughs> um, Brad and our special guest. Hello, my name is Jason Fowler. I am a doctor of occupational therapy student that is studying in San Diego. Um, I am in my second year right now, and I am starting my clinicals in the fall, tentatively, but uh, that's what we're looking at right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's basically me in a nutshell. I mean, <laughs> I, I also graduated at Fresno State with um, a degree in, ex in kinesiology exercise science. Um, so I was also kind of like part of like, the extracurricular world too with um, kines because I was um, co-founder and vice president then eventually became president for the exercise science club at my university. Um, oh, after, wow. Yeah, after they, they had like, so weird it's oh, like whoa, that's weird yeah so the so it's like I started we started that club um when I was like a my a junior year when I was like a junior like during my third or my fourth year uh I just met like one of my classmates and I was just like hey do you want to like just start something because like I mean like we don't have <laughs> one well, right? yeah because like our, our school didn't have like a um academic club and I was really wondering like okay so I mean kinesiology at Fresno State and any other like you um, CSU University, they, um, it, it's like the most impacted major. There are just a, like a lot of students in that one major. It's like you have nursing and then there's kines. And, but for whatever reason, we just didn't have an academic club. So then when I brought up, one of the, brought up the idea to one of my friends, we started it up and we found out that the club started and then it failed. It started and it failed. But then looking, looking at, at, looking at looking like, at like um, Facebook and seeing like how the club's doing right now like they're doing all the ideas that I considered and they just took it to like the ninth nth degree and I'm like <laughs> I, I lost contact with them um a lot of the my other classmates they all went to PT school most of them went to physical therapy school I'm I'm very surprised I'm proud of them <laughs> um but yeah so it's kind of cool that I'm back here I'm seeing like yeah. the emblem I'm like yeah because I I studied the ACSM um, that was like basically our standards for getting my degree. So yeah, thank you for having me on guys. I don't know. <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, I kind of want to jump back to the beginning of yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro J. So um <laughs> where you said you went to Fresno State. Are you from the Fresno area? That's where my dad went to school. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he never finished, but <laughs> that's where yeah, he went yeah. to school. Um and so he's from that area. Are you also from that kind of San Francisco, like upper well, northern California area? So I'm actually from this small town in the sticks called Madeira. <laughs> okay, it's like, so then, so then if you go to Fresno, you know where Fresno's at. If you go like probably like 20 miles up north, there's like a little town. Um, yeah, and then I just attended Fresno State. Like, I mean, I, so growing up in like my hometown, I did martial arts. I did karate. And then I didn't really know like what major I really wanted to do like going to college. I was like, okay, I mean, there's nursing because my mom's a nurse. And then I'm like, during the time, like engineering, computer science was very lucrative, um, but uh, I just wasn't that type of person to do. I wanted to talk to people and like interact. 
So then I considered like my passion and just like my interest in like, just like the, the lever systems, like the bomb mechanics of martial arts. Cause it requires like a lot of uh, insight of understanding, like, how do you check your opponent? How your stance? Like, but the thing is that during all the jargon that we learn in martial arts, they're there. It's an art. So then you don't really understand. You don't really get like the tangible science behind what you're really doing. You just okay. know that it's functional for the art. So then I decided that I, I basically just had this idea of like, okay, let me like find something in the medicine and something with exercise. So then I saw physical therapy. <laughs> then undergrad happens. And you went for a, a kinesiology degree. Yeah, and so I went for my kinesiology degree. Was, was that a BS or a BA? It was BS. It's a okay. BS. So yeah, like science based. Yeah, so then we we did have to take our chem 1A. We did have to take physio. Yeah. <laughs> I took neuroanatomy and undergrad. <laughs> yeah, it was um it was a really interesting experience. I think that the kinesiology field is really fun, really interesting because you get to understand and break down what human movement is and you you get to just under, you get to appreciate the fact that the physiology behind exercise is so much more complex than you would anticipate. Like just just learning about the ATP system learning about <laughs> learning about creatine and how it works and how it functions it, it blows your mind especially when you're <laughs> an 18 year old how to work out yeah <laughs> like i know what's going on now exactly I feel, like, I feel like i can like hack my own body in a and way like, exactly about it. <laughs> so you got your degree in kinesiology um uh -huh. and you wanted to stay in that field and and you decided to just go for your master's and and then your phd or <sighs> Okay, well, I mean, it's a really weird story. So, I mean, just take in mind that I was president for my kinesiology club. I did speak yeah. as president during my graduation um, oh, wow. to commemorate, commemorate the fact that we started our first ceremony in like years. We had like a long hiatus at that school. Um, and then <laughs> after I graduated, I was about to take my prereqs for PT school and I was on gear to be like, I'm gonna go to SCSU, get my DPT. But then I just decided that it was the route just didn't really the 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 amount of work that I had to to do in order to get there didn't really make sense to me. And plus, because I worked so much in the field of kines, like I worked with my professors, I did like I was a, a physical therapy aid assistant. And after seeing like the world of outpatient, I wanted to see a little bit more. Like I see kinesiology as a way for me to um. That's kind of like my passion. It's like, it's my hobby. Like I like working out, I like exercise. I like understanding and researching exercise. Like even after my degree, after I finished, I did like a lot of heavy research on like powerlifting and just to understand like, okay, I have my degree. I have my, I have, I have a general understanding of what's going on. Let me go ahead and just like understand what this is. But then as I was going through that research and understanding stuff, I was looking into like a career path and then I found occupational therapy. <laughs> Such a weird one. Cause like, in Fresno, you um, there's no occupational therapy school, and when you hear OT and anyone can hear OT, you just be like, "What is that?" You're just like OT, like all a lot of what people think it is is that you just work with hands. It's like a physical therapist where you're working with hands, and that's totally not the case. Um, to kind of just summarize it all, is that occupational therapy is a profession where you help individuals go back to what they enjoy doing. So whatever activities. Um, tasks, uh, gener and generalizing the, the term occupation being the things that people do, whether they need to or want to, we basically just help those people 
people with those tasks. So then you can imagine in various settings. So let's say um, the inpatient setting or even the school-based setting with kids. It, so then in the SNF, right? So then in the in SNF care, let's say a patient has a stroke and then they're unable to put on their socks. So then we would, what we would do is that we intervene by giving them a sock gate where there, it's a assistive technology device where basically it's like a little, <laughs> so cool, just Google it, sock gate. It's basically just a little chute that you, and you put a sock on it, you pull the rope on its ends. And then as you pull through it, the sock basically automatically goes onto your foot. It's really cool. I mean, it's like the most simple thing that we learn, but that's just essentially the kind of highlights. That's like a, I don't know, I don't know how to like really ex describe it, but it's kind of like the hallmark that what we're really known for. Cause yeah, when people think stuff. about OT, they think about hands. Yeah, they think about it's hands. It's like a big part of, of OT. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the first thing that you learn <laughs> but, all um, we do is put socks back on. <laughs> it's not just that yeah, yeah. But, um, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll explain more about the school base so in school base let's say you're working with a kid who has autism spectrum disorder or ADHD they may have difficulties paying attention in class they may have um, hand grip problems maybe they have a coordination disorder you don't know um, and then we basically just approach our intervention plan where it's client centered it's a client-centered approach where we look at their client we understand what their capabilities are we understand what their values spirituality beliefs are and then their performance skills basically we holistically look at our patients not just as just patients but as people that live their lives like our <laughs> the way that we do our studying is that we are given case studies in the like in the case study you would think that you're just going to be given like a medical chart which we we do get that but then when you do go into like these charts that we go through, it, it's like a narrative. You start to understand like, who is this person? This single father who works like nine to five, who has like a mother and who has a mother who's like 60 or 70 and like takes care of them. It, yeah, you have to, yeah. you have to understand the biology, the physiology, the biomechanics, like the, the neuroanatomy, the so yeah. sociology, psychology. It's an all-encompassing profession that, honestly, even with today's like climate, it has a lot going for it. Like, mm -hmm. there's we right now, um, AOTA they're they're um they're situating telehealth globally. So based or at least like in America, as far as I'm aware of. Um, so then right now, California just got passed. I think on May fifteenth, and essentially services that require that can be replaced or just can be done via virtual skyping so let's say you're trying to work with a kid who's working at home um and i might be doing this in the fall so i'm theorizing what they're going to do i'm theorizing what they're going to do we'll because clinical rotations yeah because okay. yeah because like i'll be in riverside that's tentatively and depending on whether i'm actually over there or they end up having my clinicals via telehealth I know that other students have already done their clinicals and they had to do it via telehealth um, in the middle of the pandemic when it first started. But anyway, um, basically you'd be with the kid in a um, virtual Skype meeting and then you'll just be doing your, um, like your assessments, understanding like what are the barriers to writing? What are the barriers to reading? What are the barriers to pay attention in class? So, so are you asking the child themselves like, how do you feel about this? What's difficult about writing? Yeah, so, yeah, so, cool. yeah, yeah, there's a, there's an assessment called the COPM, which is the Canadian 
<laughs> occupational <laughs> occupational therapy c-o-p-m it's a measurement it's sorry <laughs> yeah i i finished my, i know right i finished my finals like a couple weeks ago and i'm like oh, it's seven o'clock and i'm still on break yeah. so it's a it's an assessment where we basically look at the satisfaction performance and this during their participation in an activity so we just try to understand like what barriers do they have in their success towards the thing that they need to do um with telehealth it does it's not just for kids as well like during one of our clinicals that we did during class um we actually did as um a mental health assessment for for one of our classes it was really interesting it was like i was very skeptical at first about it i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna lie Wait, i the assessment for yourselves no 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 for for like a client oh okay, okay. yeah 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 so then I'm not going to go to further details because HIPAA. Yeah, so I'm just going to disclaim that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it, it, I, it was interesting doing telehealth for the first time only because you hear so much about it. But then what's really interesting is the fact that you actually can help people with it. Like when I was talking with this lady, we we're just doing like the interview and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is a real person. And we're actually talking. And then when you check in, it's like, yeah, you do see that progress. It's... um. It's very gratifying. It's it really is. So as you can tell, like this this profession is very broad. You have outpatient, which includes orthotics. You have inpatient, which is basically any other like traum traumatic or just um, surgical procedures that you need to go through or like you know post surgical cases. Um, there's school based. There's pediatrics, and then there's mental health, which is probably our most newest profession, newest field mental health it's something that they're still trying to branch off with it's uh <laughs> it's it's an interesting interesting branch of occupational therapy i'll say that <laughs> with all those settings that you listed what is the most common in ot oh man i mean i feel as though that when people want to become occupational therapists they tend to want to become hand therapists um yeah. so then yeah so that to be a hand therapist you need to either be a physical therapist or occupational therapist. And there's a whole bunch of other like other things you need to do. It's like 5,000 hours of like service and stuff like oh. that. But um, I, I would think, I would like to say that the most, the, the most populated would be outpatient hands. And then probably right under that, maybe under that is um, school-based. Those are, that's what, and that's what like occupational therapists are mostly known for. We, yeah, we tend to be associated with that kind of realm. So the way I'm gathering it, OTs basically work with people who aren't able to fulfill the requirements in a sense of their occupation, whether that's their job or just kind of like their role, like mm -hmm. maybe a student or as a, as a kid or mm -hmm. as just like a functioning adult in society. Mm -hmm. you, you help like a wide range of people from all different kind of walks of life. Yes, so, so um, we work with everyone from a, across the lifespan. Um, so it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, say, I'll, here, I'll like kind of walk you through like what we could do in different set, or at least I'll give an example of two that are interesting. So let's say we're in outpatient setting and then we're working with a 32 year old male. He is probably like, maybe let's say he's an engineer. Um, he's experiencing carpal tunnel. Um, it probably stays up a lot, like stays up a lot working on something or just is just up, up, up at night watching Netflix. Maybe they're having racing thoughts, maybe they have anxiety. 
And then they just their time management schedule is just out of whack. So basically what we would end up doing is that we would address the referral first. The referral is like the first thing. So then it would be the carpal tunnel first off. Uh, everything else where it comes down to the anxiety and like him staying up at night and time management stuff, those are things that we take in. So then it's it's like, this is what our professors tell us is that even though that we have all these skills to assess a patient holistically, a client holistically and understand their whole case, it first starts off with the referral. So then if a doctor were to come up to me and tell me that, oh, patient has this, this, and this, and then let's say it's like carpal tunnel, maybe it's um, anxiety, but depending on the setting too. So then it, in orthopedics, it would be um, the carpal tunnel for mental health, then that's when you get the anxiety. But then for the orthopedics for this engineer, um, you would address the carpal tunnel. And then during the evaluation, you may end up learning about the client that they have anxiety, that they have issues with time management, that they stay up late at night. And then you may be able to connect the dots as a clinician to understand like, why do they do these things? Like, do you start to see the trends? You start to understand them as a person and you just, you try to make the interventions work for them. And then you also want to make sure that if they're given any home exercises or home treatments or even recommendations, like a recommendation that's really simple is that they stay late up at night watching Netflix because they have a little kid that doesn't go to sleep until 1 a.m. So then a recommendation, I don't know, like you could just communicate with your with the spouse or figure out some time regimen with the child. So then you can have that, that person can just sleep better. Like that's like a totally left field like case um, something that would be more appropriate will probably be like a single mother. So, hey, okay, here, this is a good one. So then I'll take you to mental health. So then let's say you have a single mother who has a five-year-old child. Um, mother is, um, she has race anxiety and then she abuses alcohol. So then that's when you start to understand like other factors of this woman's life. Maybe like they're far from home. Maybe they don't have anyone to come to. So then what you end up doing is that you would just kind of just, understand the person kind of understand like what they used to do in the past so then we have a thing called the occupational um, occupational history assessment where basically we understand we try to understand like what did they used to do what did they like to do um mm -hmm. how did they feel about it how often did they do it it's it's like this very <laughs> it's really it's you know i'll be honest it's really weird talking about it right now because um it's so normal to talk about this as an ot student but i feel like talking about it or to you guys i'm like our profession is really weird. <laughs> no, I get that all the time. Be, like even just among pre-meds, like when you're talking to other people who aren't pre-meds, they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like I, I feel like this is my first podcast. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm actually talking about my, my future profession. And I'm like, I'm like, this is what I'm doing. Right, so, um, so going back to the mom, is she, yeah. is she being referred to you by a doctor or is she seeking you out on her own? Uh -huh. It's or does it vary? Is it just random? I can't say it's random. It, it just, and this is our favorite saying, and you're going to hear every other grad student say this, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. So yes, you can get a referral. Yes, sometimes a, a case, a, a patient can come to you. But um, also like if you're working at a community home, it could just be that you're the OT on site. And you're just doing whatever, you know, you're doing your job, you end up seeing something that is a need, you bring it up to their doctor, and then you try to progress and get some treatment done. Okay. But um, yeah, it's basically like, it's very broad. 
like in that for the case study that I was talking about, um, <laughs> you can do anything. You can do anything for this person as long as it aligns with their spirituality, their values, with whatever their intervention, their intervention, um, their performance skills are, their client factors, like who are they as a person. So and you can do something simple as like scrapbooking or making a, um, helping the person walk through time scheduling. So then they do have time to go out with their, with their, with their daughter because they're so busy with work. <laughs> it's, um, and let's say like this lady also has um, shoulder impingement. Mm -hmm. So then, and maybe she also has like a 10 month year old baby. So then you would end up doing some compensation strategies. So then the person isn't holding their baby outwards like this, causing strain on their shoulder. Um, simple thing, maybe they're a swimmer. Don't go out swimming, that's a recommendation. <laughs> oh, it's like you have to get everything about this person and like understand their habits and their hobbies and whatever they do. And then yeah. bring that into treatment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it's a very, um, it's a really interesting field. Um, the the oh. field original so yeah yeah in, so in the case you said like scrapbooking okay yeah so I know that's like a random case but there's an um, article for it <laughs> okay I was just gonna ask like is there like evidence based practice research yeah is is this is this all evidence based like you mm -hmm. say talk with your spouse and figure out a time regimen is this like you have an oh, article yeah. to back this up like I, yeah okay. um it's like it's a really so it's like I feel like any other healthcare professional can understand this too. It's like, you really do have to like look into what's going on, go mm -hmm. back to the research just to see like if the literature stands. So then let's say I want to understand why scrapbooking would be good for a person who is going through anxiety. Well, I mean, I'll just try to summarize as best I can because I read the study during like, like two terms ago, but um, basically what scrapbooking does is that it, it, encourages a person's well-being where you are able to see things from the past and you can also just consider just like what do you have to look forward in the future because you have a scrapbook it's like there was this whole entire um article about occupational therapy and scrapbooking that was like at least like 10 pages or so and it was just talking about the benefits of what it could be like of what you can do with scrapbooking and there are even um time management <laughs> articles on with occupational therapy with kids because I mean, like you have to consider the fact that there are kids that have autism or ADHD or cerebral palsy that have a hard time with those executive functions. So like the ability to make decisions, to plan appropriately, to do things, what do things as a typical person would do or a typical child would do. And you would intervene by just teaching them those skills. So maybe it's like introduction to a planner, introduction to a calendar, um, showing what habits are like, just modeling, showing them like, this is how you hold a spoon. This is how you open the door. It's like, it's essentially like that. It's it's not in the sense of like behavioral therapy. I hopefully the, um, there are probably some people who are listening to this or if not, uh, they're thinking, oh, behavioral therapy, which is a completely different branch. We focus more on their do, not just their behavior. That's a part of it because behavior is a part of occupation. But then occupation is, what do you do? What matters to you? What is it that you need to do or want to do that you do every day that you care about, but not like, you know, touching your head or doing this or anything like that. That's part of it, but we're looking at the bigger picture. So if, an, if, a, if a kid is, is stemming and they're in class and they're not paying attention in class, that impedes on their occupation of learning. So that's what we would intervene on. We intervene on their ability to attend to a task, the heat to a task, 
at a sitting at the desk. Um, and then what a behavioral therapist would do, a counterpart, is that they would just focus on making sure that this, the stemming, is, the occurrence of it and the frequency of it is decreased. And so it's not too prominent. We may end up doing the similar thing where we're trying to make sure that doesn't happen as much, prevent that behavior, just so that they can keep participating under occupation. But then as we're focusing on the stemming, we're focusing on other things. We're focusing on the environment. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm talking like my professors, it's weird. We're, we're, we're focusing on our environment. We're focusing on the context of the, of the classroom. Is it, too, is it too noisy? Is it crowded? Is there, one is there one kid with a pen doing this? And then the kid, the other kid that we're working with is just distracted, just trying to get what's going on. <laughs> So wow. yeah, it's, it's <laughs> totally like, wow, it's, it's a really good field. <laughs> so are, are you like nervous? Because I feel like there, there are so many factors that could be affecting somebody's occupation, somebody's ability mm. to, to be in that occupation. Are you like nervous that you're not going to be able to, to maybe seek out that, that like that reason or that cause and like address it in, in future patients? As in like, do I have confidence in my ability to approach a case, like a real case? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Man, I mean, <laughs> so okay, so I'll just profess this. I'll just so I'll just mention that we have done some. I'll answer your question, Mumber. Preface it like this, so then you understand like what I've done so far. So then I've worked as a physical therapy aide for like, well, just two months, but I learned a lot in those two months. I was a volunteer in different set OT settings and PT settings for about two years cumulatively. Um, I was a behavioral therapist for nine months and then going to grad school, we had ex field work experiences, which are basically like one or two or three or five day experiences where we are practicing what we're learning as we're in school. So then we've done pediatrics, where we're doing playing with kids, um, not just playing with kids, we were treating kids. Uh, we also had mental health. So then we did do a telehealth um, thing with, with a woman. Um, and then we also have our practicals. Like the, this last term, we did our practicals and um, we did our practicals in acute care and also outpatient. So then how to use the e-stem, how to get an elderly person out of bed and put on their sock and transfer from bed to wheelchair to restroom back to bed. <laughs> It's like you go through the whole steps, the whole, the everything that you need to do. And we have to understand the precautions of what you need to do. Uh, what else did we do? We also had in-person, we went to a, an in-person uh, mental health, sp specifically with substance abuse at a community center all the way in another, Northern California, um, Northern uh, San Diego. That was really interesting. <laughs> um, and that's basically our experience. So then I'll just say that like, as far as like dealing with a real case, I think I'll be fine. I, 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 I can do it. I can definitely do it. I think what's the most, um, the nerve wracking thing is just doing that and not as just an assignment or not as just like one day case, it, but then as like, a like, there's somebody like, in front of you. Real. Yeah. It's, it's like the, the fact that the person's there doesn't bother me at all. It's just the fact that like one person, another person, another person, and then the next day, another person, I see the same patient, you know, it's like, it's the routine that I'm like looking at. I'm like, oh my gosh. So like the, like, you know, there'll be assignments where we're spending like a good amount of time, like in research, we're just trying to understand like, how do we help this person? How do we address these, these issues? Like these, we, you know, we're highly empathetic in this profession. Like we, when you see a, a case study, you see like what they're going through. You're just like, oh my gosh, it becomes a head scratch where you're like, how do you actually help this person? 
but then that's the thing like you actually have to get to that point where you're kind of doing this and like mm-hmm. feeling empathetic what they're going through and then that's when you like want to like look and see what's going on you start asking them more questions you start building rapport with your clients so then you can build up on that therapeutic relationships and you have that trust with not just your not with just your patient or your client but also their family members there are times in um, acute care where you have to actually teach a family member how to do range of motion exercises so then let's say um, there's an individual who is experiencing a coma and they you want to make sure that there's they're not getting any pressure ulcers and then you have maybe i don't know like dad mom or little brother come in and then if they're there you know introduce you i would introduce myself if they're a person i'm dealing with their with their loved one and then if i'm able to see that they can potentially learn something to help their their family member if i'm in the middle of doing range of motion techniques then i would just go ahead and give recommendations like be part of my intervention plan of teaching the family member how to do range of motion i'm perhaps even like just educating them on what's going on because Mm -hmm. i mean you can have a person who has like a really bad fall and then when you know if someone's at the hospital they they probably just don't know like what is like the what's going to happen after the fall like if you're if you're dealing with a geriatrics case there's so much that could happen it's it's beyond like it's, there's just a lot. So then it's beyond these people's understanding of like what's going to happen. So then you actually have to educate them on the case, what's going on, but you do it in a way that's in layman's terms. I'm not just going to bombard um, a 90 year old who is majoring in like sociology that has no idea about like anatomy or biology or any of the science. I portray the science that I learned in school, that I learned in practice, that I learned from this, my general experience and give it to them in a way that makes sense to them so then they're informed and then that's that's basically just the professionalism that we're eliciting in, the, in in this field that we have to be able to explain these things in ways that make sense <laughs> so so it's all about communicating with the patient if they're yeah okay with you treating the patient and in a sense like educating them and maybe their families about how they can deal with this moving forward mm-hmm. yeah it's like even with some coping strategies, maybe like it's really hard for them just to deal with the situation. So then it may not be a part of like uh, our like, you know, what we would do entirely. But if we happen to see something and we know that it can help the patient, then you do it. Like it's a person, you know, you have to help that person out. So that's, you know, we're, it, you have to remember that the title is therapist. And I feel like some people may forget about that. Because you think when you think of a therapist, you think of like, you know, like, oh, it's, you know, like a psychologist or something like that. Even the physical therapist has to consider the same thing. Like right now, from my understanding is that physical therapy is trying to go towards like the mental health and try to understand how they can implement like their interventions while also considering the holistic side. Because occupational therapists have been doing that. Those are our counterparts. Our approach to practice is completely different, even if it looks similar. It's very similar, but it's different. Uh, those guys are actually looking at that as well because they know that that's how you get to people that's lower back chronic lower back how how does that happen what's going on how do you how do you prevent that how do you alleviate that what are things that can be done so then you don't have a a sore lower back you're not that like grumpy when you're like going to the grocery store because they have a sore look the list goes on and on and on (laughs) okay so to take a step back you kind of 
you kind of um, address there's a difference between OTs and PTs. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and I also kind of want to just step further back and ask okay. you why you chose OT over PT, or was that ever even a choice? Okay, it was a choice. That's and probably I did, a hard choice. <laughs> yeah, so I, I know, yeah, it was. It was a weird, it was a weird decision. <laughs> so I was on track an undergrad to be a physical therapist and I wanted to be one since like I decided to go into Fresno State um the defi- I think the defining moment was just that yeah I did see those prereqs and those it did freak me out I mm. it was like really hard just to get that the um those competitive scores on like my grades and stuff like that and then also looking at the prereqs for OT it's like I'm not just gonna say that oh they were simple like they were interesting you have to take, oh my gosh, what the classes I had to take for OT school, it was so, I had to take sociology, two classes of that, psychology, all like the social sciences that physical therapists don't require. Like physical therapists require physics, they require chemistry, and it is applicable. I'll just say that it is a, when you're in grad school, if you think <laughs> that physics, I know, like, I bet there are people who are like, why well, am I take physics and chemistry for like PT school? It, oh, when you start learning about that like um about like uh light light therapy it'll make sense but uh i just want to get out of the way it's like were you were you a good student in college (laughs) (laughs) my first year in college i wasn't a great student (laughs) okay then i can say yeah i'm like can i see that here first two years of college or first three i was heavily involved in extracurriculars um Mm -hmm. and it's like i didn't have I had the goal in sight that I wanted to be a physical therapist when I was a freshman, but then you're given, you know, you're shown like the world of like extracurriculars, like there are cultural clubs, there are cultural organizations, there are so many things that you can do. And then you start to learn like more about yourself as a person like, yeah, like, you know, some of you guys are about to graduate in undergrad, you start to learn a lot about yourself and you start to integrate yourself into like different communities in college. And then that's what builds you up. And then once you graduate, then you are like, okay. So then with those first three years, I knew what I wanted. I just didn't know how to do it. And I was, I was not a good student. Like I had a really hard time studying. I was way too focused on like my cultural clubs. Like, oh, I have to dance practice here. I'll have to worry about that thing over there. And then like my grades just like, (laughs) in fact, like my, my, my faculty, my, Academic advisor told me like on one of my hardest years ever, uh, I failed my anatomy in my physio class. He told me, he looked at my grades and said like, you're not going to grad school. You're not going to PT school, but I want to prove him wrong. I don't know. Like so did that, did that kind of like light a fire under your- Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean like the guy was very inspirational. He was very like, very straightforward. He told me straight up, told me you do not have a chance. You have to consider a career path and being a physical therapy assistant which is, yeah, which is like, you know, it's not the doctorate level, it's the nope, associate's it's level. And I, I'm getting my <laughs> bachelor's, you know? Yeah, you know, but you know, like, well, I'll say about this guy and I need to hit him up later on, but then, you know. Say thank you. <laughs> Honestly, right? I want to talk to him because he did give me a letter of rec and I do like look up to him. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I do, yeah. He was very straightforward in like what I wanted in my career goals and like just what I can do. And then he basically just empowered me and just like understanding the situation. I'm like, look, buddy, like, you know, you didn't really work that hard in undergrad. Like you're working in other things that you work really hard on and your extracurriculars look really, really good. If your grades were just good enough, you could, he told me that you could actually just make it in there because you were heavily involved. It's just the fact that you, it, you, it may end up just being that hard for you, even if you do get it. 
So then when TKBC told me that, I was kind of just like, you know, I was like, oh man, I'm sad. Like, but then what really got me going was the fact that I just didn't give up. I mean, like I, I wanted to do, do some change on my campus. Like I knew that there wasn't an academic club for kinesiology. I knew that like, there was like a whole bunch of students in this major. And then some of them are graduating with this degree and being like, it's trash, what the hell? It's not. <laughs> no degree is trash. You have to use it. You're given a universal education. I'm like talking like students. I'm being a dad. You're <laughs> a universal education. Anyway. Stay in school. <laughs> I'm gonna get off my soapbox. So yeah, by the time I I realized all those things that like, you know, it's it's what you make of it, just, just do it. And then even if you don't know, even if you like have no idea, the saying goes, you know, fake it till you make it. Oddly enough, that's a good way to start. Uh, once you actually start caring, eh, you go a long way. I mean, I'm I'm surprised. I'm thinking about like how I was in your guys' position and we didn't have a podcast. Uh, you know, like what we had were just like general meetings or just like maybe like five, 10 people. And now that I look on Facebook, I'm like, oh, there's 20. Oh, there's 30. Oh, they went to like Costa Mesa to like the... <laughs> <laughs> like, like, those are the things that we missed out on but we were like the pioneers we were like trying to get it started so you know it, it's worth it like even if you feel as though that what you're putting work into you're not going to get anything from it honestly just start because like once you have something that starts you'll be very surprised looking yeah, back everything, everything after you graduate fun, you're yeah. in grad school and then you're like, oh it's that little club that i started oh, oh yeah that, <laughs> oh that podcast yeah it blew up <laughs> You know, like, look at it like that. Use that lens. Even with times like this, it, whatever, you know? Especially in times like this. Yeah. Especially. So, so to become an OT, do you need, do you need a doctorate? Or can you do a master's degree or? Mm, okay. So then. Is that kind of a touchy subject? No, 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 It's not. I'm just like, I'm like trying to figure out how to like carefully explain this. Okay. <laughs> not that it's complicated. There's a distinction. Sure. Yeah, there is. So then in order to get into the profession of occupational therapy or these, hmm, yeah, I'll, okay, I'll go, I'll, I'll go all that way. So then I'll explain what an occupational therapy assistant is. I'll explain what it, what a um, MOT and OTD is, which is the master's and doctorate level of occupational therapy. And I'll also ex explain what the PhD is, which is not a clinical practice degree. So then the assistant position, basically it's that, um, you have to have either your associates or your bachelors and the requirements are fairly similar to occupational therapy, uh, at least the mat thing, the graduate level. It doesn't require as much clinical hours and the requirements aren't as extensive, but um, it is a program that I believe the last at least like a year or two, I had to like, I had to reference that. And then we'll, I'll go ahead and just explain the MOT and OTD. So the master's of occupational therapy and a doctor of occupational therapy. As of right now, um, in order to be occupational therapist, entry level is the master's. The doctorate level is optional. Um, the, for the master's level, you're essentially um, learning how to be a general practitioner. Like you learn like the foundational information just so you can practice. Um, with the doctorate, it's um, you basically want to, you're looking to make a new thing, a new practice, something innovative, something that pushes the field forward and just make something really cool, essentially. Yeah. I mean, and that can be done in any way where it's like you're developing, maybe you're developing a program, maybe you're conducting research, maybe you're making an, um, an emerging practice, which is something that I'm doing. So I'm getting my doctorate. 
in order to get those requirements, you know, GRE, PREX, the, the PhD, Occupational Science, and the only program that I'm aware of that's in California is USC. So that's basically like, imagine like a, a PhD in physics or a PhD in chemistry. And then like people within the subsetting fields, maybe like a doctor or maybe like a pilot would look at that research and understand like what's going on. Essentially, Occupational Science looks at occupation as a science and then uses that information to inform practitioners. Doctors can do the same thing. Master's students can do the same thing or people from master's do the same thing. The PhD is a PhD. So then you're looking at the theoretical, like the framework while mm -hmm. the doctorate and the master's is more on hands-on. And the doctorate is for OT, specifically the OTD is to create something new. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I wanted to make sure I answered that right. <laughs> Cause it is a confusing field. I think you field. did a good job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a confusing field. Don't want a lot of people know this stuff. You have to- yeah, I'm still a little confused. But yeah. so, so, you, so you graduated from college. Did you consider, uh, I think we had a question in our, in our mm -hmm. chat. Did you consider uh, pursuing a post-bac? Oh my gosh. Okay, so then I'll go ahead and explain this then. Um, for my doctorate, I'm currently, I'm currently working on my doctorate on um, occupational therapy's role in user experience research and design um, in tech industries with an emphasis in game industries, so with video games. Um, that essentially is the doctorate. With the postdoc, I mean, it's optional. So then after I would get my doctorate, a postdoc could be anything where it's in research or if I'm trying to get a specialization and let's say one that I'm interested in, a postdoc that I'm interested in, I don't know if I'll actually do it because I want to get a PhD. I think I want to get a PhD, I'll say that. So with the postdoc, um, I could get a specialization in sense, oh my God, I didn't talk about sensory integration. I didn't talk about sensory integration. I kind of <laughs> talked neuroscience to you guys. So, wait, wait, really quick, the question, <laughs> was, the question was post-bac. So like post-bac. Did I do a post-bac? Did you do a post-bac? Oh, sorry, yeah. I was thinking like post-doc. But, but please continue with the post-doc, but um, did you consider a post-bac? I did, I did do a post-bac. I, okay. I had to because I didn't have the I didn't have the social sciences um, um, background. But what I what I consider it, well, like would I say that would you do a post back? I mean, it, honestly, it depends a lot. I mean, some people do really well like right after they graduate from undergrad. I'm speaking honest, like you know, I did a post back. I needed to. I need to because my grad okay, my GPA was two point seven eight, and I brought it back up to three point oh um, by taking just a couple classes. Um, and then I took the GRE. Did you so do a dedicated program or did you just go to like a community college or? So I went to Mesa College, a community college in San okay. Diego. Yeah. And I just took, um, phys I took, I took two so sociology classes. And then at the time when I was doing that, I was also studying for the GRE. And then after I got all my scores and everything, and I sent my application, or at least when I was working towards my application, I started working as a behavioral therapist. So, and I gave that, you know, those within those like, one and a half years or two years, I was doing all that, studying for those classes, getting those A's because we need them, um, mm -hmm. get the GRE. I took it twice because the first time I, I didn't get the, the score that I wanted, it's gonna happen. Um, and then I was also working as a behavioral therapist so I can get more clinical experience and also just to make sure that I really wanted to do this because it's like, mm -hmm. you know, honestly, it's, it's expensive. And then also you have to remember that you're going to a career. If you are, really serious about going into a career especially going to grad school you're spending a lot of money it's a really important decision to make so then you really i i encourage a post back if 
you are have maybe having a little second like you know second second guesses maybe like you're not too sure maybe you don't feel as prepared maybe you're still looking you don't know if that's the thing maybe you don't even have the experience in the thing that you want to do so it's a good time to take time to like understand and honestly it's taking a post and here here's the here's here's why you take a post back if you really need to Postbacks will give you a lot of time to reflect on yourself and what you're going to get yourself into. It going to grad school is a major. I can't emphasize this enough. It's a major life life transition, and a lot of new things happen. You start to learn what new things about what it means to be an adult. Maybe your parents never went to grad school themselves. Maybe they went out went you know graduated right out of high school and then they start working. So then you don't really understand, like, you may not understand, like, what challenges you may face in grad school. And that's something that I wish that more people talked about instead of just, oh, how do you get in? How do you get, how do you get in? Yahoo answers, you know, like, student doc honestly, just take the time to reflect because it is your career, especially, especially during times like this, it's important to really consider what your life choices are. Um, I'm not going to go in that route heavy but basically it's like postbacks can be very essential if not crucial and i can just say personally that mine was crucial i enjoyed mine yeah. <laughs> i got to work like you know like what i go i graduate my bachelor's go straight to grad school i had a hard time in grad school it was it's hard so then taking like that year and a half to make money to use my bachelor's it's hard to find a job but you really have to work towards it mm. um you know it's it's it you have to you have to work through it so, <laughs> all right. So you were all hyped up about sensory integration. About oh my gosh. Postdoc about sen sensory integration. Okay. So that's not something that I'm, I think I'm going to do. It's something I'm interested in, but basically okay. in a nutshell, there was a, and you can look this up. There's a doctor, there's a, there's an occupational therapist who got a PhD in neuroscience and her name is Dr. Ayers. I can't remember her first name, but uh, <laughs> Dr. Ayers, she ended up studying how people are basically able to modulate and integrate sensory information so then let's say okay so let's go back to like a kid with autism okay so then maybe they have high sensitivity to sound so then the way that it kind of works is that if you have someone clicking a pen and then there's someone else in the room with that kid the other person is probably able to filter it out they have low registration they, they don't process it as well kid the, the atypical kid kid with asd is probably going to be like mm -hmm. because everyone actually does have very unique thresholds and everyone has different ways of taking information like you have to consider the fact that there are introverts or extroverts i could play a part of it we're not psychologists but but basically what the research says and this is confounding research that's done way before this is something that we are looking to and i wish that um we are more integrated into the healthcare system so we could advocate for this but different people have different ways of modulating information. Some things could be, can go over their heads. Some things could be too overwhelming. And maybe like even just a, a stimulus that is just fine with everyone else could be literally be the worst thing. It's um yeah, like sensory processing disorder. If you guys are out there, um, research that. It's gonna be real. You're gonna learn a lot about neuroscience. You'll learn a lot about airs. You'll learn about occupational therapy and what we would end up doing in the case with pediatrics and school-based, even mental health. Cause I mean, you know, if you're someone with OCD and maybe, you know, that's how you 
you regulate your information. You need it like that. If it's not like that, you go. It, it's it's a lot, you know. So in a nutshell, that's what sensory integration is. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so so um, let's jump from that to your thesis. You said it was about like video games. <laughs> okay, therapy. is that related to sensory integration in a way? Oh boy. <laughs> kind of like, let me just open up my file. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear everything. <laughs> okay, so. Um, it's, it's technically not a thesis. It's a capstone okay. project. So basically oh, wait, what I was mentioned before with the doctorate, like earlier that we're creating, we, with a doctorate, you basically create new things. So then for me, I want to create a new emerging practice and that's occupational therapy's role in the games industry. So basically, uh, I see the, it's such a weird story, but basically during my first year of grad school, I ended up learning a lot of video games used as a modality. I mean, I've always known about this. You know, we use Wii Sports, we use um, tabletop games, stuff like that in therapy. But then there was another factor that I didn't, wasn't aware of, I was, was aware of, but then once there was finding evidence that video games actually do build up your mental intelligence, your resilience to task, to ability to complete things, because you have to consider with the games we have now and the games that we've had back then in the eighties, they, those are basically like, gosh, training simulators for your brain. <laughs> I mean, you know, and then you have the game, but well, the way game design works, it's like you're putting, you're putting a person through variable amounts of challenges and difficulties. And then they actually have to use their cognitive flexibility, their executive functions to understand the problem, work through it. If they lose game over, then you have to redo it again and recycle. And what did you learn from that experience of that level of that boss of that, of the, whatever you're trying to do. So then I was very fascinated by that. I was very fat. Cause I, I'm, I've been a gamer all my life. Like I played the NES when I was three. I mean, I'm playing Final Fantasy seven remake second time. I got 80, 80 pushing 90 hours. I'm playing on hard mode. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a gamer. And, um, <laughs> So then when I was looking at like what I want to do for my doctoral project, at first I wanted to work um, with adaptive sports because I came from a kinesiology background. Um, I have a, um, a hand disorder, symbrachidactically, and basically I, I learned in my experience of post-bac that, <laughs> I learned in my experience during post-bac that if I had a adapted hook, I could actually lift 400 pounds on my deadlift and then it worked and I'm like oh my gosh like let me just go ahead and like use that as my doctoral project help people who have handicap ability like you know who are differently abled go into sports and that was what I wanted to do but then when I went back into my passion you know your work you're in a profession where you're focusing on occupations you, you, you occupations everywhere then you start thinking about your own occupations mine being video games and exercising I've been I've played more video games than I've exercised because I've I played video games since I was three. But then I saw that I had an opportunity to work in the games industry, to work with video games and be like, oh my gosh. And then I could do that and then be essentially like a doctor, like, I mean, like clinical professional. And with the things that game designers do in their games, there was like some similarities in how they approach their work compared to ours. They, the game designers have to understand their audience or players holistically. What were their prior experiences to other games? What how what would this scene what would this moment this game kind of how would that elicit a player's emotions or motivation 
<laughs> is this scene, is this moment going to make them cry? Is this moment going to make them laugh? Are they going to go, yeah? Like, you know, like, there's a lot of things in there. I went in more. I went in more. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Rami, will, Rami knows. I She's seen me study. I went in a lot more. Is, is studying just playing video games? No. Research. <laughs> Unfortunately not. No, I actually, I did more research. I, I put a lot of video games during my post-bac. While okay. I was working and doing research on exercise, but the moment I went into grad school, you know, I, I took a break and I was actually doing research on video games for the first time in my life because I actually have like the skills to understand what <laughs> the game studies is. As I went through, I found that there was, um, there is, you know, the, the field of design basically, God, there's so many ways I can go through this. Like the field of design basically looks at what does the user need to do in order to engage into the task of the product. So then let's say user experience designer, a game designer, any designer, they all follow this similar framework that's called design thinking where they you collaboratively work with interdisciplinary professionals. So maybe you're working with the engineer, maybe you're working with a teacher, if you're working on something for school, working with a, a physician, working with um, a computer scientist, and you try to figure out what does what needs to be done in this product, in this system, in this thing that people are interacting with? How do you make it so that it's accessible, it's usable, and it provide the interaction with it provides a genuine experience? Sounds a lot like OT. Mm -hmm. um, believe it or not, there's actually an article that came out 2017 on the vision of OT. So AOTA's vision of 2025, which essentially is talking about using OT um, and design thinking framework to push the field forward into different practices. So then they mentioned the tech, they did to mention the tech industry. They did mention, they mentioned hackathons, they mentioned game jams. Cause oh, cool. yeah, med schools, if you look it up, med schools use design thinking in their curriculum to help physicians, emerging physicians learn how to collaborate with other professionals and come to solution-based approaches to issues while keeping every product or whatever they're trying to make client focus. It's really fascinating. Like, really look it up. It's like I, what you have to consider. Like, you know, I'm not gonna go like political or whatever. But with everything going on, you have to think, how did you design this? Who designed this? Like, with the with the with ventilators and just the way that it's being distributed, how do you make them more accessible? How do you design a ventilator? How do you design a monitor? How do how does a doctor or a nurse interact with that product? And then with my profession, occupational therapy, I, I want to go into the games industry. That's my that's my dream. That's I always wanted that. And there's also the tech industry, so I wanted to broaden it up. I want to make sure I have my options just in case. Um, but then, well, I said this in my paper that the, the goal that I really want with this capstone and you know the silly dream working in the games industry, where there is sensor integration, there is there's all these things that does confined with what OT is, where we lo we're looking at the player and we're, how do you make, give the player like a genuine experience? Cause there's a lot that goes into gaming. And also how can you journalize the skills from gaming into the real life? Cause we hear about these benefits, but how do you actually do it? There's a lot of research out there, but then we haven't really came to those strong conclusions, but it's like, the, the big goal is I hope to experience everything with the games industry and with OT and I hope that one day I could do something with the healthcare system. I mean, like, even my personal statement, I talked about the sniff and readmission rate, and I can't even I can't even believe that it's like this right now. 
Like it's not even like we even were had an assignment about the readmission rates. And now, now it's really interesting. So it's like, I hope that when I'm like, I don't know, when I'm an old fart, like 50 years old, I've already, maybe I worked on my first title, my first game. I probably worked for like a, like a lot, a lot of like kids in the school-based system. I have like at least 20 years experience. I don't know. I hope one day I could actually like <laughs> fix what's broken right now. <laughs> <laughs> or at least just contribute because we do need some change. And that's what I hope that occupational therapists can be. We don't just work in hospitals. We don't just work in clinics. We don't just work in schools. We can work in the politics. We can, I'm not even kidding. We can work in the government. We have our framework essentially provides us that entry into any profession, as long as we're able to use our holistic skills in order to approach a situation accordingly. That's in our framework. <laughs> So, so do you see uh, the profession growing in the future? Is it, do you think it's growing right now? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, like the professional occupational therapy is definitely lucrative no matter what. I mean, right now it's definitely going to go through like a hard moment because they're still trying to figure out how to provide treatment. Um, I mean, I'm not going to go too much into it right now. If you watch the news, you'll know, but mm. uh, it's, I'm like looking at my profession. I'm just wondering like, how fast can we make these changes? And then how well can we make them work? Yeah, it's, it is kind of it is kind of like worrisome that all these things are happening so fast. And then not even, not even like, I'm not given in that, that many updates on what's going on. Um, all I know is that we're trying. Uh, but as far as the profession goes, it's gonna be needed. People are gonna be, are gonna need professionals that understand occupations so then they can engage and participate in their everyday occupations but the things that we that the things that with the things that are going on right now i mean people are having a really hard time just being indoors people are able to do the sports that they used to enjoy people aren't able to feel comfortable going to the grocery store so i feel like i feel like a really positive trend that i'll see in ot is that our the emerging profession of mental health is going to as long as we, as long as like uh, the field's able to approach it appropriately, I mean, I think they're, I think they're working on it pretty well. I mean, we already have the, we already have um, some sort of a system or a, or a specialized profession where you do do telehealth or do mental health. I did that. Um, it was really interesting. I, I mean, I helped my client. I'm. It was only two days, so I feel like that could be a, a venue where occupational therapy can go to. And one other one that I'm thinking about is kids because those kids are actually like learning at home on their laptops you know like you think about the typical kid that is just like annoyed and just like un like just very annoyed the fact that they had to study at home but then you also remember the kids who have autism or any other neurodevelopmental disorder they have a harder time than ever using a computer like yeah and like those are yeah, those are like kids that those are kids that could actually be like CEOs, entrepreneurs. Like, I mean, like a lot of like the bright minds that we have right now are like, you know, they have autism, they have ADHD, they have like, and it's like we're with the situation right now, it's like it's not really gonna help those people, those kids be adults and be the new leaders, you know, for our society. And it's it's a shame. Um, as far as like the other traditional sites like acute care and outpatient, I mean. It's an essential service, so you're out there at the front lines. Um, I know that some outpatient centers, um, outpatient facilities, it, it varies. It's a it's a big question mark to be honest. I don't really know what's going on there. But as far as like mental health and peds, that's why I see the direction going towards. 
Um, acute care, essential. Outpatient, it's essential. It's just, it's it varies. It depends a lot on the facility, uh, the type of cases that they see, how it can be done. It could be done via telehealth, but it depends. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do you have a feeling that like, because I mean, just listening to you talk about what occupational therapists do, I feel like following quarantine, <laughs> there are going to be a lot of people who need some help kind of getting back into like the motion of things. Yeah. Everyday life. Mm -hmm. There are going to be a lot of people who are kind of turned around and kind of, you know, backwards maybe with quarantine. Do you think that occupational therapists are going to be the ones that are helping them get back into the, into everyday life? Yeah. Well, I, you have to have to also have to remember that we have our counterparts that are psychologists, that are social workers, that, you know, other people that do fairly similar things, but I, I do see us being like being, hopefully, I hope that people see like who we are and what we do. Okay. And then we're into, we're integrated into the system. Like I was, okay. I was talking to one of my friends who is a nurse. Um, he works in Clovis and we were talking about like, what do you think is going to be like the future of healthcare? Like what's, you know, he's actually in the front lines. He's been a nurse for like a while and he's actually thinking about going to grad school again to be an RNA during times like this. Uh, <laughs> so wow. we were saying that like, he, he mentioned to me that he feels as though that healthcare is going to be an essential resource and everybody needs it. Like the fact that all this is going on means that everybody needs healthcare. Everybody needs to be tested. Everybody needs treatment. Everybody needs vaccinations everyone needs to be healthy and we can't have we can't have people who are in low socioeconomic status you know like not being able to have access you we 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 go through society blind not knowing like what those people how those people are doing are they able to actually get care are they actually gonna like see another day you know like so it's like it's it healthcare is going to be and i would hope this is like my biggest hope that it will be essential and when they see the need of OT, especially like in mental health, when people are having a hard time knowing what they need to do, we have like millions of Americans like unemployed. That's their livelihood. Those are people that started a, a business from the ground up and then it's gone. That, you know, like the, the hobbies that people would may take for granted, like maybe like writing or like blogging or stuff like that. Those are, that's that's what a people, a person who has a business, that's literally what they were doing and it's gone. So I, I would like to hope and think that I can one day work with like a lot of cases and help those people just, you know, just enjoy what they like doing. Cause I can't imagine, I can't imagine. I play video games, I'm introverted, you know, like I work out at home. I, it, like it, this, this whole thing does boggle my mind. And I only just hope that we just get better soon. I, it's it's sad, but uh, I just so, so optimistic, you know. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah. So what what's your best piece of advice to those people who are listening, just in general, just to kind of stay sane, stay active, and doing what they can do, and and stay like committed to <sighs> whatever that may be. This uh, this isn't yeah, like yeah 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 I, I I got one I got one I got one. <laughs> Let, Listen to the science. Listen to the science. That's all I really have to say. Listen to the science. It's it knowledge is valuable. Mm -hmm. Get your free education and just live your life the way that you want it to be. 
but remember to think. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for coming on. Uh, of course. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I think that uh, our listeners definitely enjoyed learning about occupational therapy and about your journey. So those of you who are listening, be sure to check out the past video podcast available on our YouTube channel, uh, Exercise Medicine at UCSD. Check out our social medias, uh, eim.ucsd on Instagram and eim at UCSD on Facebook. Uh, and also subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, the link is on our Facebook page and will be in the description of the video. Uh, it's free, it's fun, it's weekly. Um, anything from common injuries, interesting exercises, healthy recipes. Nice. Uh, and that is all. Signing off. Love what you guys do. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, of course. Thank you for having us.